This is just a test. This is just a test. Just making sure oh, our just levels. Just making sure. Talking. Talking. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and I'm so glad you're here listening today. I'm here with my husband and producer of the podcast, David Rossetti. Say hello, Mr. Rossetti. Hello, Mr. Rossetti. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, you might know me from my vegan travel culinary series, The Vegan Roadie. Uh, lots of places to watch it. We have three seasons. You can watch on YouTube, Roku. What else, babe? Apple TV. Uh, Plant-Based Network. Yes, yes. You can watch there. Um, and I was also on the Food Network. Maybe you saw me there uh, on the Girl Scout Baking Championship. Uh, that was you that almost dropped that cake, right? <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, dear. Sorry. Yeah, you guys, I almost dropped a six-tiered cake on the show. So I think you can watch, I know you can watch the episode on Amazon Prime. Um, but that's all we're going to tell you. Drim, dram, drama, drama, dramas. Um, I've also got a couple cookbooks, uh, The Simply Vegan Cookbook and Epic Vegan, both available everywhere you get books. And I've got a new book coming out in uh, 2021, Epic Vegan Quick and Easy, which I'm super stoked about. And you guys should be really excited about this one. Um, you know, it <clears throat> it is definitely, uh, and I have tested all, all most of the recipes. Oh uh, it is his best thing. by far, Aww. and super super accessible. Um, so uh, all those people that really liked Epic Vegan. Um, or maybe there were some people that were intimidated by Epic Vegan. Epic Vegan uh, Quick and Easy is going to be uh, right in your right in your vegan butter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I was going to say something else, but right in the, right in the pocket. We're just going right to hit the, you right, right in the butter. In, right in the pita pocket. Right in the pita um, pocket. That's all we got. Okay. <laughs> but let's not, let's not forget to mention right that his butter. first cookbook actually made it onto a Forbes list of best vegan cookbooks. So Aww. I'm going to just, I'm going to humble brag on behalf of my Honey, uh, amazing husband. So thank you. You're so good to me. I'll try. Uh, well, listen, you guys, you can enter for a chance to win my cookbooks and many of the other cookbooks we're going to feature on this podcast um, in the next seven weeks. And we're going to tell you how after the episode. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Okay. Now, That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm super excited to give a bunch of so stuff like away. So the, the, more than likely, they'll have an option to win that cookbook for that yeah, like that. all the episodes that we're featuring in those seven weeks, plus some beyond that, where there were we've got a whole bundle of cookbooks to give away. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it's it's basically it, it's going to be real easy to enter, and um, it's super exciting. And I love giving I love giving anything vegan away. I love giving anything away. It's like probably my number one favorite thing about being on Instagram. Do you feel like Oprah? Well, I, I think like that's why like I Oprah. like it so much. I just really like to give because everyone away. loves something free. They do. Let's be real. Everyone loves true. something free. Um, I love something free. Well, and and as do I, and that's why we also like to give people free things and free and with like that it's involved with food. I'm in. In like Flynn. 
oh. in like vegan butter <laughs> like vegan butter we just got I don't know. all the jokes all the jokes so um why don't we since this is our first uh, uh podcast why don't yes. you tell the listeners out there hello listeners um thank you for hi, joining hi, us hi, um hi. tell them why why you're doing this podcast you just listed a whole bunch of stuff that you do you are the veritable uh, plant-based superman so why <laughs> <laughs> why a podcast and why podcast about cookbooks you guys need to have david rosetti in your life the best cheerleader ever <laughs> um i am in this to do asthma sounds which I are very i don't know if they're gonna understand what that is he's making a joke on asmr sounds they're gonna be like what you guys follow the drag queen anita buffham on instagram yes please she actually hi anita uh she dj'd our wedding um and she she does this thing where she goes all right you guys i'm gonna do asmr sounds now it's amazing anyway probably not doing it justice so let me tell you why we're doing this pod honeys okay so um before the pandemic that we're currently in, I was going to do, uh, uh, we were going to transfer the vegan roadie to podcast format. We were super excited getting, um, we were getting interviews lined up. There was a network we were talking to about having the podcast on it. All these things we were getting advertisers lined up. Literally everything was getting lined up. We bought all the equipment, honey, we were ready to go. And then we're COVID hit us and you know, everything has changed for restaurants in the landscape of, uh, the culinary world. So, took a pause um pretty insensitive to reach out to businesses at this time and be like hey tell us about the best thing on your menu like everyone's just trying to survive right now um and i think after going around and seeing kind of the heart and soul that people are putting into these vegan restaurants oh my the gosh. vegan roti, yeah um to know that there's people really really suffering out there yeah. we just kind of thought it would be insensitive to try to like try to start or try to get in there or like just ask some questions when they're just trying to yeah. like kind of, it's just know, not survive. the right time. And some of them are not, some of them have not survived. So yeah. sad to say. Um, so in that moment, we thought, you know, we're sitting here with our podcast equipment set up. We were like, well, what can we do? What's like, some other sort of content we can create, um, you know, and our thought was in the interim, but it turns out as we started moving along with this, you know, we've, we've lined up a great, um, guest list of people to tell us about their cookbooks and um so we thought long and hard about what we should do and we looked at it at our bookshelf and saw literally probably there's 75 cookbooks 80 i there's so many vegan cookbooks you guys dustin has a small obsession with it's... cookbooks <laughs> like we we bought a bookcase specifically just for cookbooks well there's a small bookcase in the kitchen area just for cookbooks yes. and then there's another one in our guest bedroom that's literally all full of cookbooks as well and there's probably some cookbooks in storage I, you guys, I don't know what happened. I went vegan and suddenly I thought I needed to also open a vegan library. Um, so it has been a passion of mine. I went to culinary school in, on a, what, 2014. And, you know, I loved cookbooks before then, went to culinary school, loved cookbooks even more after because I had a, a better understanding of how recipes come together. Um, and then that formed into went into an arena of me writing my own cookbooks. And so we were sitting here and I was like, you know what? Let's chat with cookbook authors, uh, specifically plant-based cookbook authors, and find out why they wrote the books, what their favorite recipes are, and give them an opportunity to talk about their books. Um, and hopefully, my hope is that this empowers uh, you, the listener, whether you're a seasoned vegan or you're brand new, to sort of get empowered at home in the home kitchen. I know people think cooking can be difficult or they get intimidated by it. And my whole mission from the get-go with the vegan roadie till now and onward has always been to make vegan food, cooking, and dining accessible and easy, right? Yeah, and I think um, 
with as much time that people are spending at home right now, I think people are kind of finally going, you know what, I'm going to learn how to cook or, or actually do that recipe or flip over in that book. I mean, he's been getting, Dustin's been getting a lot more um, notes and things on Instagram and people posting pictures of recipes, I think because people are just spending more time in their homes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how this sort of was born. And, um, you know, I, at the end of the vegan roadie, I used to say, keep on cooking. So it just went into this. It seemed a natural fit to let's call the podcast, keep on cooking with an emphasis on getting home cooks to keep on cooking, right? Yeah, you know, and, and keep on keep on living, keep on breathing, keep on moving forward, keep yeah, on cooking. Yeah, we really wanted, it, it, it would have been easy for us to just stop and not do anything, but we just really decided we wanted to celebrate um, something. There's so much going on in the world, and the world is so heavy, so we wanted to take this opportunity to celebrate some very positive things in the world, and that's some people, you guys, writing a cookbook, speaking from experience is no easy thing, and so everyone I speak to it's, it's really cool to pick their brains and learn why they did the book, um, you know, why they chose certain recipes or just all the different things, why they choose one ingredient instead of another. So it's really exciting. Our first guest today, our very first guest is one of our absolute favorite people. So our first guest for Keep On Cooking is an accomplished woman and all around badass, Miyoko Shinner. She's just a go-getter. Yeah, just the, just the best. We've been very fortunate to um, get to know Miyoko, and um, she actually did. If you go watch the Vegan Roadies uh, season three, but yeah. yeah, of mm-hmm. course, it was Italy. Season three, we're in Italy for season three. She's in episode one. She's been there many times. She speaks pretty good Italian, actually. And she, and she gives little um, uh, Italian lessons, like on the she fly. She sure does. She's like, you know, inflection. Like she's, mm-hmm. she's we so first cute. When, when the camera started rolling, I asked her to co-host the first episode with me. And when the camera started rolling, she rolled up and started like throwing Italian at me. And I was like, like what? what? Yeah, I was like, I don't know what's happening. It was like literally like, I think she's it was our amazing. first 24 hours after landing. And she was just on it, ready to win it. And I was kind of like following her lead. But she took us some some really cool places in Sicily, too. I visited... Not the plant she's at now, but um, a different, uh, before, it was a smaller one. And so I got to go see how the cheese was made, you guys. And um, they used to do these small testing batches. I'll never forget. She had this huge table full of all these different cheeses. And she let me, you were on the road when this happened. I brought home like. I was very upset. Oh my gosh. I brought home like six different cheeses from her that never went to the market. And I was just like obsessed with them. But you guys, she is the end all be all in the vegan world. She's so supportive and amazing. Her name is Miyoko Shinner. She is the tenacious award-winning vegan celebrity chef behind Miyoko's. Her passion for her craft and mission is unrivaled. The publication of her groundbreaking book, Artisan Vegan Cheese, kicked off the start of the vegan cheese revolution. Miyoko is an advocate for the plant-based movement as one of the founders of the plantbasedfoods.org, which we get into more in the interview. She has a sanctuary, Rancho Compassion, that she owns and operates. She's a restaurateur. How do you say that? Restaurateur. But I hear an N in there. Re- well, I mean, I think it's... It, but it's it, not spelled with an N. Yeah, we just know. think that because it's... Anyway. I don't know. She is a restaurateur. Fact check. <laughs> and of course, she's an entrepreneur and an author. With the line of Miyoko's cheeses in several many books, including Now and Zen Epicure, Japanese Cooking, Artisan Vegan Cheese, and her current release, The Homemade Vegan Pantry. Above all else, she is a phenomenal human being. You know, I've said it before, but as we're about to go into this interview, I think it's worth saying that one of the best things that has happened to me in terms of becoming a chef and creating the vegan roadie is 
the people I've met. Um, and I've met so many compassionate people who really have a bottom line to make the world a better place. And Miyoko is one of those people. Absolutely. I mean, I, honestly, I was thinking about it today and I really think of uh, Miyoko as like the Madonna of the vegan oh, world. Oh, I love that. Because she she's I, she's been in the game for so long but she has reinvented herself mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. her mission and what she's doing constantly like she's always thinking about new ways and compassionate ways to um get her point across sure. without any screaming without any yelling like it's 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 smart ways of like using the farm sanctuary to reach out to factory farms and say yeah. like hey why don't you try growing vegetables instead instead i mean that's just a, a smart way to go about it that can get you more results so i'm just i'm hearing everything you're saying but i, I hear our sweet little cat in the background you guys she wanted to say hello miss beans meowing so if you hear her in the background but uh, um, that was not to take away from what you're saying it's it's no. it's absolutely the truth and she's and she just takes time you know she like took time for this interview she took time to come to yeah. you know do italy with us like she's just she's so approachable for the juggernaut of a you know uh, name in the vegan world mm -hmm. that she's just she's always make and she's always making connections with other people well and i love the way you said she reinvents herself because um what's clear in this interview and what i loved hearing about was her businesses she everyone thinks that miyoko's cheese just like popped out and it was this big huge success but like we learned that she had lots of businesses before that and lots of hits and misses and then that this vegan cheese empire was not even meant to be an empire it's sort of just came about it, it went down that route the universe willed it that way so i'm so honored she took the time to chat and you guys are going to see she's just in it to win it with a heart of gold so without further ado here's miyoko so it's the omgs of cheese queen of vegan cheese herself miyoko shinner thank you for being here darling well, thank you, darling, for having me on your show. Yes, of course. We've got an icebreaker question to start off with here. What is one thing most people don't know about you? Oh, my gosh. Most people don't know that back in the day, I was a jazz singer. <gasps> yeah! Uh, yeah, and uh, also back in the day that I did uh, bodybuilding back in Japan. And what? I placed uh, third in a national competition back then, so... Wow. There's a couple of things right there. That's amazing. I'm going to, uh, are there pictures of me to see this bodybuilding online? I, you know, I probably, if you Google it, I think someone might've <sighs> written something about it at one time. Um, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't be very impressive because the standards are so low back then. So. Wow. That is, I probably just look like an aerobics instructor. <laughs> Well, I'm here for that look, too. So either way, we're going to try. Oh, David's already Googling. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I actually had Jazz Singer written down. I was hoping you would say it because um, I'm loving on your, uh, what is it, Home Comforts you're doing right now on your IGTV? I love it. You usually open with a song, don't you? Oh, sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just feel like, you know, bursting into some corny tune. <laughs> Um, you know, most of the time I can't remember the lyrics, so, uh, <laughs> it's just hum a, hum a bar too. That's fine. That's right. Uh, let's see one thing. What's something most people don't know about me. Um, I once the, I, my claim to fame in the musical theater world, as far as originating a role was there's that store, American girl place. And they used to have shows in the store. And, um, I originated the role of Biddy puppy in Biddy bears matinee. And that's it. That's my claim to musical theater fame in terms of... Biddy Puppy. Biddy Puppy. 
had a love for dogs then, have a love for dogs now. Yes, you do. Uh, we all do. <laughs> um, Over here too. Yeah. yeah. How many animals do you have? Not counting, not counting the sanctuary. Like how many like dogs and cats do you have? Do you? Uh, we have two dogs and four cats. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now I feel the last time I saw you, uh, we were in Sicily, which feels crazy for me to say, but we were in Sicily and you oh were my God. very yeah. gracious. You co-hosted an episode of the Vegan Roadie with me, the first one of season three of Italy, and um, everyone can go there now. They can go to Plant Based Network and watch the episode or the Vegan Roadie YouTube channel. I believe it's also up on my IGTV now at the Vegan Roadie on Instagram. Um, but you took me to a couple spots in Sicily. I think we had some arancini and pasta, if my memory serves correctly. Oh, yes. The arancini, I will never forget. Mm. And in fact, I have a, a cookbook coming out next year. It's a it's a vegan meat cookbook <gasps> about how you how do you not only make your own, but, you know, how to cook with the vegan meats that are available today and, and make them taste better than, you know, sometimes you get one that's like, eh. and so what do you do about it? Um, and so I included a recipe for arancini and I've been making arancini yes. for years, but it was only in Sicily that I you know, was introduced to these conical shaped giant arancini yes. that are modeled after Mount Vesuvius, which is why they're that shape, apparently. Yep. Um, and, and I didn't know that arancini, you know, I thought arancini were like these fancy little appetizers you got at a cocktail party. I did too. Were, you know, yeah. yeah. And I didn't know they were like a street food, like a snack that you just, you got this whole big orange, you know, this whole thing that fit the size of your palm yep. with your hand, because that's how they're formed by hand. And, um, and, you know, that it could be lunch that people used to take a couple of them when they went, you know, let's say they were a shepherd or whatever. Um, that was so fun going to that little arancini shop. And it was great. It was so great. It was so great. It was amazing. So many different fillings. Um, the pistachio. Yeah. And I remember we had a pistachio one that I really, really yes. enjoyed. It was terrific. You and, and that's actually what I included in my new book. All right. Pistachio arancini. But it has a little bit of a vegan meat in it as well, too. Just well, to kind of, now, you know. a new book. Is this a scoop? Are we maybe the first ones hearing about it? Probably not, but I'm going to pretend we are because this is very I, exciting. Yeah, I don't know if I've talked about it on any other podcast. So maybe you are the first one. I don't know. I love um, it's this. It's coming out next year. Yeah, 10 Speed Press, uh, 10 Speed Random House. Um, and it's all about vegan meat. It should be coming out. Uh, in fact, this is the last, uh, this weekend, I have to finish up my my uh all the edits to their edits and oh, get it back to them honey. and then uh, they're doing the photography next month in june and then um it'll be out next spring oh i love it i'm yeah. so excited for that i'm such a fan of, of your book so this is going to be and and i mean what a great addition to what you've already contributed to the cookbook world and this is cookbook number five then is that correct well, it's actually six. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, because there was the long lost one from 1990, many years ago, that's no longer in print. Oh, which, which, so, which one is that? Well, that was actually the very original, the Now and Zen Epicure. Oh, so uh, then I... and then, you know, yeah, I, there was a revision done that was about 50% different. Okay. Um, so, okay. yeah, I guess you could say five and a half books. I got you. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, wait, I have yeah. now and Zen written here. Wait, wait. But now that makes sense. You've got a revised one and the original one. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, you're advocate, culinarian, entrepreneur. You have a sanctuary. Uh, your hometown is Tokyo, and you grew up a vegetarian. Can you tell us about growing up in Tokyo and how it may have inspired your path into this culinary excellence and this uh, entrepreneurial businesswoman? Sure. I don't know if Tokyo had anything to do with it, uh, Japan, because I left when I was about seven. That was my next question. Um, I wondered when you yeah, left, actually. Okay. I was just I was just a kid. But actually, Tokyo did have something to do with it because 
when I went back to Tokyo after college to live there, um, that's when I became a vegan. I, I went from becoming a vegetarian to being a vegan. And when did you become uh, a vegetarian? When I was 12. So, wow, okay. okay, truth be told, um, it's just sort of ironic that I'm writing this vegan meat cookbook <laughs> because I probably have had virtually, like I've had almost no exposure to real meat in my uh, life. Uh, you know? uh, I mean, when I was growing up in Japan, you know, I mean, we didn't eat a lot of meat because we were eating a traditional Japanese diet. So it was, sure. you know, there was some fish, but mostly there was a lot of tofu, vegetables, rice, lots of rice, of course, noodles, that kind of thing. Um, you know, meat was not the central part of our diet. And then I came to the United States, started eating meat, of course, ate it for about five, six years. And then I became a vegetarian and stopped eating it. So that's my only exposure to meat. I mean, there's lots of meats I've never had. And here I am writing about prosciutto and I've never, and, uh, you know, I've never had it in my life. Well, so, so no not having had it, then yeah. are you, are you researching it? And, and how is that as a vegan to be sort of like diving into that world? Well, it's kind of interesting because when I went vegan or in my twenties, when I went back to Japan, I started reading um, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And um, uh, I decided, that's when I thought, okay, how do I create these flavors? Like I, I read a recipe, you know, Julia Child's recipe for beef bourguignon. Gotcha. And I thought, okay, well, you know, this it's so dependent on meat. How do I create that, by the, uh, that umami that meat has without meat? By the way, the word umami is Japanese. And back in the 1980s, when I was living in Japan, uh, in the United States, we didn't, you know, that word didn't exist here. Of but course, everyone everyone's but, saying it. But yes. anyway, um, and that, and I, and as I became vegan, I just became fascinated. Like, if if we're going to get to a vegan world, we have to be able to capture these flavors. How do you do that? And that was really when I just took a deep dive into cooking, and you know, reading Julia Child and figuring out how do you make coca van, how do you make beef or bourguignon, like what are the the tricks to this? And I started, you know, copying a lot of her techniques without, um, you know, creating a mirepoix and reduction sauces and things like that and substituting things that have a lot of umami like miso and soy and, and uh, tomatoes and things like that sure. to really give that depth of flavor that today, you know, everyone is doing. But back in the 1980s, no one was really doing this. I mean, if you were vegan or vegetarian meat and you also gave up flavor. Right. Right. And, and, and you started eating, you know, these sort of dry, bland lentil loaves. I have some cookbooks from the 1970s and 80s that are vegetarian. And I can't tell you how brown those books oh, were. Oh, I bet. Because today we talk about brown food yeah. as a, you know, it's a no-no. And we're looking for that rainbow. We're looking for all those vibrant colors. But the vegetarian books of yore were so brown. Sure. They weren't colorful at all. No. You know, they were just like taking beans and mashing them and turning them into loaves and yep. burgers or whatever. Yep. It was really, yeah. Well, I love that. It sounds, uh, you know, you were, you were focused on the flavor, not so much like what meat does, which is great because ultimately just like we flavor tofu, people are flavoring meat when they make it. So you just basically got to the root of how these things were created. The flavors were created. That's right. That's right. That. That's right. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we've got Miyoko's creamery, but it wasn't Miyoko's creamery out the gate. You can you tell the listeners about your business journey in the food world from owning a restaurant and then I may have this mixed up but it's a restaurant then a natural food company and now we have Miyoko's Creamery. I think that's the right order. Maybe I'm wrong, but Yeah, that yeah, that's basically the right order. Okay. Um a couple things that were were you know, it came in between or before, but it all started when I went vegan living in Japan in the 1980s and uh 
I had a love of French pastries, mm. um, of which uh, there are many in Japan. I mean, like every street corner had a French Oh my gosh, shop. so many. It's like Pastry Central. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, you've been there. Mm -hmm. And so you've seen it. Yeah, David. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Just paste and delicious pastries everywhere. Absolutely delicious pastries everywhere. And so, and I love them. I was enamored with them. I don't like sugary American sweets, to sure. be honest, you know. I, I really don't want to get near a cupcake, honestly. Um, <laughs> I want something light and fluffy and creamy nice. and just you know, sensual. I'll take them so, both. I'll eat your share of the American ones, and then you can share okay. your other ones with me. I'll help you out. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, you know, I, my goal became, okay, how can I do this and make it all vegan? And I just started experimenting. So I, I opened up a little tiny bakery. It was a, uh, not a retail, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a brick and mortar store. It was like a little wholesale bakery. And I started baking cakes, um, and pound, primarily pound cakes. And that's the thing is that a pound cake is one pound. And I had no way to actually transport them to stores. So. <laughs> I put them in a backpack and I got 70 in a backpack. Oh my gosh. And I would cart them around Tokyo, delivering them to like natural food stores and um, a couple of other stores I in, love it. Uh, on the subway. Um, I still have that backpack, by the way. It's pretty funny. Wow. Um, so anyway. Oh, uh, actually, so I think if people want to see this, there's a great picture of you on your website. I think if it's in the about section, there's a picture of Miyoko with the backpack. Uh, and there's right. like a little cute little note in it that's like, you started out putting these in your backpack. So everyone check out uh, Miyoko's Creamery. And, and so that was the that. beginning. That was the, my very first business venture. Um, and that you know eventually uh, spawned uh, sort of consulting arrangements like what you're doing right now, helping develop recipes for for restaurants sure. and, and bars and things like that. So I did a little bit of that and then eventually wrote a cookbook. Um, I moved back to the United States and I opened up a little um, bakery here in San Francisco. And then that um, spawned a restaurant called Now and Zen. Um, and then eventually that morphed into a natural food company, uh, which I sold back in 2003. Okay. So, you know, this journey has been a long time. Um, I've been in food in some capacity for a very, very long time. A lot of people often say, my God, how did you just like do this overnight? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, overnight, 30 years in the making is really the truth. You know, it's been a long time coming, learning a lot about it, making lots of mistakes, having lots of failures, um, you know, just crashing, just coming down crashing yeah. to the ground with many of my uh, enterprises, things just didn't go well. Um, so. This is, you know, the timing wasn't right. There were lots of conditions that made it difficult. But um, finally, um, you know, it just, I think the world sort of had to catch up with some of us who were just a little ahead of the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so about six years ago, um, you know, it just seemed like the right time to, to start another company. And honestly, didn't think it was going to get to where it is today. Um, I just, you know, I had set my, let's just say, sites much lower thinking okay maybe we'll be a, a nice little thriving local business and have a little cheese shop and oh i love it and uh, anyway it just it blew up i'm so glad it did because we're able to impact a lot more people um and as i always say we're not a, a company with a mission we're a mission with a company and you know we're really out to change the world and get people off of dairy and uh you know people often talk about it's so important to get off of meat but hey the dairy industry is the same as the meat industry because all dairy cows eventually go to slaughter and become yeah. hamburgers. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a two for one. Give up dairy, you're giving up both meat and dairy at the same time. 
Well, and now, of course, everyone, we're talking about Miyoko's Creamery, which so that puts us back this uh, launched in 2014. That means does that sound about right? That's exactly right. Yeah, your yeah. company has been wildly successful. It's made a splash in the world of vegan cheeses, and they are phenomenally vegan. Um, and I love that, you know, you're very transparent. This is not an overnight success. This has been years of blood, sweat, and tears going into this. And now you've got Ellen DeGeneres on board, which, you know... Ellen I, and Portia. Ellen I'll, I'll and say. Portia. I and mean, Portia, yeah. My goodness. Well, they're vegan, yeah, and uh, big supporters of, of you know, of animals and and it's just it's wonderful i mean we, there's a lot of supporters in the hollywood community um of of the vegan lifestyle more and more of them are turning to that which is fantastic yeah uh, and you know, i um, feel like so. you um this is the sort of thing i bring it up because as as people who you have been such a trailblazer in this so to have people who have this sort of visibility and platform who are lifting products up like this it's just such a tremendous um it's a get like i mean you're you're really it, it's really showing the progress that i think we're making as a community but you have really I, I don't know i'm just blown away by it and it's so cool to see somebody lifting it up and showing us these things on that the mainstream level so that the world can see it you know yeah, I mean, and I think the world is waking up, you know, especially right now because of, of coronavirus. Yes, um, yes. And what's happening in the meatpacking plants and the cruelty, not only the animals, the people are finally realizing, oh, my God, these industries are have no concern for human life either. Yeah. Um, and I think it's impacting, it, it's impacting people. And I think people will begin to change their minds about what they should be eating. Yeah. Um, so this could actually have a really powerful, positive outcome. You said something so great to me a few years ago. Um, I don't know. I was at an, one of the expos and I was talking to you and I, I said, well, how is it, you know, like you're doing this amazing cheese thing and there's all these other cheese pop cheese, vegan cheese brands popping up. And how do you feel about competition? And you just you just shifted my perspective in the world because um, you were like, you know what? I don't really view it as competition. I'm just so happy everyone's like wanting these things and there's other companies providing things that people want and you were just so supportive of there being other brands producing cheese it wasn't this like oh well we're the best in this that you were like you know whatever we can do to support each other like i'm just glad we're here to do it together and we're all sort of starting to do it and more people are starting to see it it was just so great to hear well it's 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 true i mean if we're going to have a revolution you can't right. it can't be a revolution of one it, it takes all of us to uh, change hearts and minds and have an economic impact on the world. We have to overhaul the entire animal agricultural industry. And it, we can't do that with just one company. I mean, it's going to take many, many startups to do that. So it's it's critical that we're all in this. Um, in fact, yesterday on, uh, you know, this Facebook Live thing, I've been doing Miyoko's Home Comforts. Um, I featured all these uh, little artisan cheeses from that, that I bought from Riverdale in New York. Nice. Um and uh, they're so, I mean, I just can't believe how far they've come I mean, oh, because crazy. when they first opened up, I bought a bunch of their stuff, you know, from local artists and cheesemakers. And I thought, eh, they're okay. Um, and then I went back to New York a few months ago and I was just blown away. Mm -hmm. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I brought them back to our R&D team and I was just blown away yeah. by some of the, you know, what some of the um, artists and cheesemakers were doing. Um and so I just got a yen for them and I ordered some online um, and uh, the order came and I featured them on the show yesterday. 
And they're amazing. I mean, some That's of these great. artisan cheesemakers have just really, really honed their craft to such a high level. I am so proud of them. I'm so proud of what they've been able to do. Um, and, you know, I mean, I chose at one point, because, you know, as I, as you know, I, um, I had, I started out doing artisan cheeses, artisan vegan right. cheeses. And, and I, before I started Miyoko's, you know, I had Instagram posts of the camemberts and the breeze and the blues that I was working on and stuff. And then I kind of, you know, in order to scale a business, I had to decide, okay, what are the, um, what are the ones we can relatively mass produce? What are right. the ones that are the easiest to produce? And it's a, it's a choice that, you know, you make when you go into business is like, am I going to stay small and, and do, you know, uh, really, um, do I just focus on, you know, uh, small lots of really fine stuff or do we, do we go big and try to produce the best we can, but at mass. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I wanted scale and, and that's the direction that we eventually went in. Um, when I first started, we, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to start as artisan as we can. And, and then we're going to add to that, but it just didn't, it just didn't, uh, there were so many challenges to scaling some of the artisan products. I can't, um, yeah. It can't even imagine. Um, and you know, the thing is that the dairy industries had thousands of years to figure out how do you scale camembert. Um, we haven't. Um, and so, you know, I want to support these artisan cheesemakers as much as I can. I hope they figure out how to scale. would love to support them, um, uh, in doing that if possible. Yeah. Um, you know, cause all of these things, all of these efforts, whether it's mass produced, you know, sort of processed cheese alternatives like slices and shreds um, that, you know, we also just launched recently. Oh, and we got some um, and they're phenomenal. They're so incredible. They're uh, the best grilled cheese you. I've had yet. So good. So tasty. Thank you. Yes. Um, or, or, you know, artisan cheeses. I mean, there's people want different types of products. There's going to be a need for every type of product. So we have to answer all of those. So the processed cheese folks have figured out how to scale. Now we have to figure out how to scale the artisan uh, brands that you know aren't going to have as much widespread mass demand, but sure. there's still demand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's um. Have you had in Philadelphia? There's a guy who makes cheese. It's called Conscious Creamery. Conscious. Yeah, I just ordered some from, and he was selling them at Riverdale. They're amazing. Oh, Miyoko, I, it's the best vegan brie cheese I think I've ever had. I was, my yeah, mind so was I mean, I don't know which ones were made by which because at Riverdale, I ordered them through Riverdale. They don't say, they just give you the, they don't tell you whose is whose. It's sure. Just, they're all hand wrapped. So I wasn't sure which ones, but I ordered definitely some from Conscious. Is it Conscious Creamery? I believe that's the name of it. Yes. But there's also a, an ice cream company out here called Conscious Creamery. That is, yes. So uh, that is the correct name because I remember on Instagram when I looked them up, I was like, wait, this is ice cream. But then if you look it up another way, it comes up Conscious Creamery. And that's what it yeah, is. Yeah. So I think they have the same name. I, at some point, there could be trademark issues. Right. Right. But um, yeah, so I ordered some. Oh, of those. sorry. It's there's Conscious Pound. Culture. Conscious Cultures oh, Conscious Creamery. Cultures. Okay. There we That's go. That's okay. All right. And then there's uh, which is also amazing. Which one so was I, that? I'm sorry. Cheese Hound. I think. Oh, yes. New. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. Ordered, uh, yeah. I ordered cheese through Riverdale for, from both of them, as well as some of Riverdale's cheeses. I was just blown away by, you know, by the selection that I got. Um, so, you know, hey, if they're listening, if there's any way I can help you guys, um, let me know. I love it. So, oh, 
That's so great. I love that you're so supportive and, and so generous too in, in offering your help because my gosh, people are going to need it. And, and you're right, it's exploding. We need to go with it. We need to roll. And the more we can all sort of support each other and help each other, the better. Uh, it really is true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're not, we can't do this alone. And no. I occasionally meet people that are like, you know, that are more competitive than collaborative. And it's, it's honestly sort of a turnoff. It's like, you're not helping. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no. No, so. if you're out there just for yourself, then you need to rethink your mission and your business yeah. and what we're doing here. Uh, you're an advocate of the plant-based movement and a member of the Plant-Based Food Association as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Actually, I'm a founding member and, ah, a, and a founding board member of it. Love so, it. Uh, in fact, we had a board meeting yesterday. So actually, it started the same year Miyoko's was launched. And it wow. is um, it is the only trade association that represents the plant-based industry. So yesterday was interesting. We we're having a discussion about, you know, how different we are from other trade associations, which uh, just, you know, are sort of protecting the status quo um, because they're sort of, um, you know, whether it's it's some sort of uh, uh, the soybean association or um, the, uh, some sort of poultry association, they're, you know, they're established industries and they're not trying to overall change the food system. They're just advocating for their own member products. And so we're really a unique organization in that in order for us to advocate for our member uh, companies, we have to advocate for the industry as a whole. We have to grow the plant-based industry as a whole. So I feel like we're doing a whole lot more than just, uh, you know, help. I mean, we're doing things. We're working with retailers to expand the plant-based set. We're lobbying for plant-based uh, 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 companies um, in, and, uh, you know, nomenclature around what we call these products. We're doing so much more than a lot of trade organizations. I'm very, very proud of what we're doing. That's amazing. And we're all so grateful for what you guys are doing, too. And I, I love hearing that. You just, you keep going. Do you ever sleep? A little. <laughs> <laughs> a I little know, here it's and there. Weird. I mean, when COVID hit, um, all of a sudden, I the, for the first two weeks, I found myself all of a sudden sleeping like eight hours a night. And it was <laughs> weird it was like i didn't know what was going on i think we were all so confused and yeah 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 and uh you know i mean i didn't know what was happening in the world and all of a sudden i was like sleeping like a baby so now i'm kind of back to back to reality okay i still have to work i still have to do this well know? it's good you got some rest because you yeah. also have a sanctuary you're the co-founder of rancho compassion um and is that located like on your property or is that in and around you or where where's that at yeah, I, I live here. So it all started it. because we, we moved out to the country and we had 17 acres and a barn. And uh, it just, you know, it started out with two goats and then it, it just started, it just grew from there. So we we now have, I don't know exactly how many, uh, probably like 80, 90 animals, wow. including uh, maybe, a, maybe close to 100 now um, with all the chickens and birds that we have. So we've got chickens, turkeys, ducks, geese. Um, and then we have big animals like cows, donkeys, sheep, goats, pigs. Um, and um, it's, you know, it's, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, in the very beginning, um, it was mostly me every day, shoveling manure, um, uh, feeding the animals um, before I went to work. So I get up at 530, um, wow. kind of pull myself together and then go down to the barn and, and, feed everybody that we were smaller at the time. Sure. And then we started getting volunteers. Um, and then, you know, um, now we have two staff, full-time staff people. Um, and we had a big group of volunteers, then COVID hit shelter in place hit. And we, um, 
ask the volunteers to, to stay away. Um, but um, we do have some volunteers returning now um, when they can work by themselves, sure. um, you know, just to, just for safety. Um, because we're just so busy. I mean, there's so many needs on a sanctuary at any one time that it's, it's really hard, even just with two staff people to sure. keep things going all the time. So, um, but we're really lucky that we have so much interest and so much support um, of uh, volunteers and the community. Um, so, yeah. Well, as well as having the sanctuary and being a powerhouse businesswoman and entrepreneur and co-founder of the Plant-Based Food Association, all of the things. You've also blessed us with some very entertaining content and TV. You've been the co-host of all three seasons of the show Vegan Mashup, as seen on PBS, and now people can watch that whenever they want uh, at deliciousTV.com. And you've also been delighting viewers with Miyoko's Home Comforts, and I believe you've been doing some happy hours on Zoom as well during the pandemic. Um, So people can watch Home Comforts, I believe, on your personal IGTV. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's not on the personal one. It's on the Miyoko's Creamery Perfect. IGTV, okay. as well as on Facebook, uh, the Miyoko's Creamery Facebook. The Miyoko's there we go. Facebook. So Miyoko's um, Creamery yeah. to watch the home, the Miyoko's Home Comforts, which is, it's just fun to, even if, even if I, I you know, my kitchen's full of stuff, I'm not cooking anything you're making because I just don't have room to fit it in right now, but it's just fun to sort of be welcomed into your home and, and tune in every now and then and see what you're up to. It's, it's lovely. You can even see the insides of my cluttered cabinets. Because <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> who's filming has no shame she's like and i'm like canny what, what are you shooting and i'll say this on camera she's like well people ought to know what you Anyways, oh that's so, so funny that's the, funny. the the about this pandemic people filming things in there we're getting to see a lot of celebrities and and chefs and everything in their homes and see what they have going on it's uh it's very endearing actually um well it's real too you yeah. know i mean i think social media gotten to a point where everyone looked like they had a perfect life oh my gosh those of us who don't have a perfect life are feeling kind of depressed, like, oh, my God, why, why are yep. they always so upbeat and happy and positive and you know, looking perfect and their homes are perfect and all of that? And the reality is it's just not life. You know, that's not who we are. And we live in clutter and, you know, the, our roots are beginning to show in our heads. <laughs> We're, so, human We're human beings. We're human beings. Yeah. Yes. And in your case, you just went and fed a bunch of animals and then came up and did home comfort. So, I mean, that's right. That's live, right. Live yeah. in real and life got, there. Yeah. At least I got the manure washed out of my hands. Yes. So. <laughs> At least so you think at the time. If not, you'll see it later if you watch it back. Yeah. Um, and then, so do you have any other plans to return to TV anytime soon? You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, I, I've really enjoyed doing Miyoko Home Comforts. It's been a blast. It really has. I, I love, um, what I really loved about it is that um, I'm not just like in front of a camera. I really feel like I'm connecting with viewers because sure. we're getting that immediate response. Um, I actually read all the comments afterwards, um, or at least, least, least read most of them. You know, there's like, you know, like 800 to 1,000 comments per episode. So it's a lot to get through. Um, but I try to react um, at least to some. Uh, we've got a great community manager who's been going through them as well, too. So I love that interaction. I love the, the feedback. Um, you know, if there is a way I can give to people through um, some sort of television or online platform, then I'm more than happy to, to do that. Um, you know, I, I want to keep doing it, even though shelter in place will be lifted in California, I think, well, uh, fairly soon, it sounds like. Um, I'm going to keep doing this once a, once a week anyway, I think I love for it. a while. You know, I think um, it, it's sort of a, 
it gets the creative juices flowing for sure yeah. in a way that, you know, I mean, it's like every day I would wake up. It's not like any, I have a producer helping me sure. you know, think through this or someone saying, why don't you make these items? Right. And I'll help you. It's like every morning it's like, I'm, I'm working all day long from Yoko's because we are an essential business. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like two o'clock and I, it's like, okay, I got to get ready for the Yoko's <laughs> home life. What am I going to make? You know, uh, it's kind of like, it's been really crazy, but it's been fun. And, uh, the audience has been so supportive. Um, I think I saw one where you were just like, well, I've got eggplant, so I'm going to show you guys what you can do with some eggplant. <laughs> oh, you saw the eggplant, the great egg, eggplant escapade. Yeah, I, I was I, like, I she's made, going in. Yeah, I did. I made, uh, the, so I just decided I've got all these egg. I had 10 eggplants somehow. I ended up oh. with 10 eggplants. And it was like, what am I going to do with these? And so I made, it was like, how many eggplant dishes can I make in an hour? I made seven. I made oh my seven gosh. Yes. I used up seven eggplants. I was so thrilled. That is incredible. So, Incredible. Well, I'm going to keep an eye out. We would love to have you back on TV, but fortunate for us, we've got Miyoko's Home Comforts on Miyoko's Creamery Instagram and the Facebook. So that's fantastic. Now we're going to move into your books. Before we start talking about your books, I'm always curious about this. And you were so kind and did a a little video with me a while back in New York, probably like five years ago, maybe, I think, um, when your book, uh, The Homemade Vegan Pantry, first came out. And I remember that interview. I asked you what your first book was. And what I was trying to get at was the first cook book that you ever had and and my question was confusing at the time I was I think I was very nervous meeting you oh. um, but so I was very curious what the first cookbook is that you ever had oh well I can tell you <laughs> it was actually my parents um, time life series on oh, cooking. okay they had the entire series and I was in um I was probably in middle school or high school. Wow. And um, I just literally read every single one of them, including the the ones on meat. I just wanted to know how do people, how do you deal with vegetables? How do you deal with grains? What are all the things? You know, they had so many step-by-step instructions that were pictorial. And I just thought that was was such a fascinating book or books, a series of books, because I don't know how many there were. There were like 20 of them. I still have them. Wow. A lot of the the dishes that I make today, um, a lot of the ideas that I've gotten actually were from that series. It's it's really kind of crazy to think about. But well, that was so, that was my very first. It's so cool when you talk about grains and vegetables and the different things cuz uh, you know, the homemade vegan pantry is all of that. It's showing you how to like navigate these different sort of categories of things. But before we get to the homemade vegan pantry, uh, we're going to dive back to the first book, which is The Now and Zen Epicure Gourmet Recipes for Enlightened plates it features uncommonly delicious and uncomplicated recipes from your now and zen restaurant that you had in san francisco featuring french japanese spanish italian greek and indian cuisines in harmony um i love that though the restaurant isn't there we can still sort of get a taste of this if we get our hands on this book in your history with that restaurant can you tell us a little bit about the book and the restaurant Sure. Yeah. You know, the, the restaurant actually uh, was one of the, the first two in San Francisco that let's just say, you know, millennium, most people know about millennium, sure. but we opened up within a month of each other. Wow. Um, they were, they opened with a much bigger splash and a much nicer location. We were just sort of a little hole in the wall. When was that? Japantown. This was in, ni- I believe it was in 1994. Okay. Um, and this is really before vegan restaurants were a thing. Yeah. I mean, a, you know, there were some macrobiotic restaurants, there were vegetarian restaurants, and the vegan restaurants that did exist for the most part were, you know, pretty funky. Um, people really weren't associating veganism with haute cuisine. Um, and they didn't know that, you know, you could do uh, 
I don't know, tofu bourguignon, which is one of the dishes that we served. It just wasn't something that people thought about. Right. Um, and so um, I think Millennium was definitely one of the, the first um, restaurants in the country um, to show the possibilities of, of vegan food. I, there was a place called Millie's that Millennium came out of that was located in San Rafael and, and they were phenomenal. And of course there were probably a handful of places in, San, in New York, but there just really weren't that many. And, and my goal was to show that um, you could make fine dining, um, you could have fine dining in a casual atmosphere uh, that was the goal. Um, and so we had, um, it, it, we called it now and Zen bistro. So it wasn't, right. uh, you know, it wasn't white tablecloth. It was really more um, casual high end dining, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, we had like uh, butcher paper on the tables with crayons so people could do artwork while they, they ate. And then, um, so we had a lot of really great, um, I, I wanted to show that, that, uh, that, Things that people didn't think were possible. Okay, so here's an example. This is hard to believe. Back in 1994, <laughs> vegans didn't know how to make pancakes vegan. Oh my gosh. I kid you That's not. so easy. That's and so, so crazy. It's so easy and it's so crazy and everybody eats vegan pancakes now. But back in 1994, they weren't a thing. And so wow. at now and then we started serving brunch. And we had vegan pancakes and people were just blown away. That, and we had vegan French toast. And that wasn't uh, a thing that people had right. either. Sure. Um, so, you know, um, it's just remarkable to, to, to think about that. You know, we had things like paella. Wow. And, um, you know, we had the tofu bourguignon, which was really popular. Um, and is that in know, the book, the tofu bourguignon? The tofu bourguignon is... In the Now and Zen Epicure. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. That's and what I, I actually hoping. did an episode on Miyoko's Home Comforts because uh, it's a really, it's a really quick and easy bourguignon dish that you can make in like 20 minutes. So nice. it's not, I do have in my upcoming book, a much more high-end uh, beef bourguignon, which takes about four hours to make. Well, because so that's, that's sort of the fun I would imagine in writing multiple cookbooks. Sometimes you get to come back to something and elaborate on it a little bit. That's right. That's right. It is fun. You know, so I have different versions. I have a paella version, a paella in my now and an epicure, and I have a new paella in this new book cookbook. So, um, yeah. Well, and then I'm seeing, so second book is the Japanese cooking, contemporary and traditional. Is that right? Yes. So that was uh, the second cookbook. Uh, we're actually two and a half because the now one's a, sure. no, actually the now one's an Epicure. Do you have the one with the black cover or the green cover? The now one's an Epicure I have has your face on the cover. Okay. So that is the new now one's an Epicure that came okay. out in, I think 2000. Gotcha. But okay. 10 years prior to that, I had written the original now one's an Epicure that has a black wow. cover. It's very weird. It has a picture of a it's so outdated, it's ridiculous. <laughs> the cover, well, it's out of print. So not only is it outdated, it's out of print. But it has a picture of a pâté en croûte on it, which is like what people ate in France. You know, it's like you had a pâté and then you wow. encrusted it in a pastry. And uh, so, um, and there's got pictures of little canopies and things like that. I mean, it's sure. like so old world French. It's ridiculous looking. <laughs> and, you know, back then uh -huh. I thought, oh my God, this is so beautiful. A black cover with pate our crew. Like, right, right. Oh, this is so high end, but it's so like, so last century now. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny. It just wasn't fresh or have any, you know, that kind of vibrant appeal. But, sure. But anyway, so that was the first cookbook. And then I wrote um, the Japanese cooking book, the Japanese uh, cookbook. That was in, I don't remember what year, 1996 or something. I don't remember. 
Um, and then the now and Zen, the new now and Zen cookbook came out in 2000, I believe. Okay. Um, and then, um, and then artisan vegan cheese came out in 2012. That's right. We get into that, that artisan vegan cheese from the everyday to gourmet. Honey, this book, 2000, did you say 2012? Did you say? It was 2012. So I I hadn't written a book in 12 years. I sort of taken a hiatus from food after I sold, uh, now and Zen, you know, my food company in 2003. Um, and, um, I, I taught cooking. I taught in the McDougal program for 10 years and, you know, um, I did things like that, but um, I kind of just stopped cooking um, or, you know, I, I wasn't in the food business for a number of years. I was doing some other things. Um, anyway, I just had to get back into food and I had no idea if anyone would publish Artisan Vegan Cheese, but my old publisher <laughs> did. And I didn't know if it would sell because none of my other cookbooks had really, you know, I mean, they, they'd done okay. They're still in print, but it wasn't sure. like, you know, they were on the New York Times bestseller list or anything. Well, I'm curious um, about with yeah. this, this, this artisan cheese book seems like it's very popular now. Was it popular when it first came out or do you find that it's oh, sort yeah. of great? Oh yeah. I it just like, it was a success from day one. I and love then, that. And I, you know, I often joke about it as the book that launched a thousand vegan cheese companies. <laughs> um, well, Hey, you're, I mean, joke all you want, but I don't think that's off the mark at all. And, you know, and there are many vegan cheese cookbooks um, today that others have written. Um, but, you know, I am proud to say it was the first one. Well, I will um, say there that, are yeah. other ones that have come out and I, I've gotten a few of them, but I always return to this one. I have, I've tried the other ones. I always return to this one. And, you know, a lot of them have little tips and tricks that I'm like, oh, well, that seems familiar. I feel like I've seen that that before. But um, I always do come back to this one. I feel like this book resonates with people. Um, and I... I I probably because they and now I think they try your cheeses and they're like, oh, and I can make this. She's got a book, too. Right. Right. I'm sure that's helped. Yeah. And, you know, I am, you know, I just have not had time, but I am thinking of doing a revised version of that book as well, too. Um, I would love that. I think that would be so cool to see now after Miyoko's Creamery has been so successful to see a revamped version of this book. Because it's already brilliant to begin with. So I just can't imagine you going back to it and just sort of giving us another uh, a little revamp. It would be so fresh, I think. Yes. I've learned a lot since then. But on the other hand, you know, people often say, oh, um, you know, you must be, do you ever get tired of standing and making cheese? And um I, you know, I don't make cheese anymore. I haven't in a long time. Right. Um, we, we have uh, a, a factory. We have 134 employees yeah. and uh, growing all the time. And, you know, I'm not on the factory floor anymore as much as I enjoyed that in the very beginning um, in the early days. But, you know, um, I am no longer, you know, making um, or developing a lot of products, which is kind of um, it's it's sad in some ways because. I miss the the creativity, the R and D that's sure. involved. Um, but I do have an R and D team now, and which is great. And, uh, yeah, they're well, the ones and, that kind of develop the products now. But it comes all, you know. I mean, you originated it, and now you're able to trust some people that are following in a vision that you've created. I do have to say, when it comes to R and D, when I visited your last factory, um, you had some cheeses out, and you sent me home with this one that was like a cracked pepper cheese. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I can't get it out of my brain. It was so good. It was like coated in cracked pepper. It was delicious. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing is that we're we're at a scale now where, you know, back then when when you visited our little facility, that whole facility 
the office, every warehouse was 4,000 square feet. And, um, you know, when, when you expand, when, when you're at a larger scale and you, you got these big machines and your smallest batch size is 2,200 pounds, you just can't, you, you know, you lose that creativity. I mean, you just can't say, well, I'm going to just try making a little bit of this and a little bit sure. of that because, you know, you're committing to running a trial on either on the bench, which means you can't sell it. Right. Um, or, you know, you're doing it in the facility, which is the clean space where, you know, the smallest batch size is so big that um, it just doesn't, it's, it's a very different game. Yeah. So yeah. back then we were, you know, p- developing new cheeses all the time. Uh, we had limited edition products that we would uh, sell on a monthly basis. And we, it's just much, much more difficult to kind of to pivot and do that today. So it's a different business model. Yeah, yeah. And it's, hey, your different business model is getting all that cheese out there now. So I get there's a sacrifice on one end where you kind of have to be like, okay, we're in this place where we're doing this. But also, it's worth it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, and we're moving on now to the homemade vegan pantry, uh, your most recent contribution, uh, The Art of Making Your Own Staples. I'll tell you, I've been in love with this book from the moment I got it in my hands. I love the photos. I love the recipes. And on this podcast, I love to talk about my favorites in books. And girl, the unribs in this book, they blow my mind. Um, and I'm not a vegan who has to have meat substitutes, but I... I use them and I like them, but I'm not like, I would never gravitate and be like, Oh my gosh, I've got to make these ribs, but I made them for a 4th of July gathering. And now I've probably made them like four or five times ever since with the zippy barbecue sauce. That's in the book. I love these ribs and they're in the meat of the argument chapter. Uh, what, what inspired you to go with? I mean, now you've got a whole meat book coming up, but you did it in this book as well. I imagine it's creating those flavors and trying to hit it home where people feel like they're going to be missing something, creating it for them. Yeah, so actually the Unribs came from um, Now and Zen, the company that I had ah. back in the 90s. Um, it's a slightly modified recipe. Um, I think I improved upon what we actually sold back, so at, uh, back in Now and Zen. But, you know, we had the un- Unribs, the Unchicken, and the Unstakeout. Um, and for this book, you know, it had been many years. I didn't have the original formulas anymore. Um, I tried to recreate them, and I actually improved them. So I think it's the Unribs in the Homemade Vegan Pantry, I think, have an amazing texture as well. They do. Um, and everybody loves them. They're uh, so and great I, and easy to make. They, they're easy to make. Um, they, they take a little bit of time. But, sure. Um, and also the barbecue sauce, I think, is part of what mm. elevates them because I find a lot of commercial barbecue sauces to be kind of, eh, they're really sweet. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of, they're not balanced. Uh, you know, and I, I like that nice balance of sweet, smoky, spicy, kind of like everything sort of married beautifully talking about that zippy barbecue sauce the perfection in that it's not the only perfect sauce you have there's a chapter loaded with sauces dressings and jams and condiments uh there's an oil-free caesar dressing a not tella hazelnut spread a vegan fish sauce oil-free eggless mayo an easy jam uh with a cheat method but then there's also a grape wine jelly and fig and lavender jam I think sauces can make or break a meal. How did you decide which condiments to put in this chapter? What's your favorite condiment? Oh, my favorite condiment. Oh, boy. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a hard one. You know, I, I really, for the book, I try to think of like, what are the things that people um, can make easily at home without having to, you know, I, I mean, I think that I want to take mystery, the mystery out of food. Like people think, oh, I have to buy ketchup. And then you find, and maybe that's one of my favorite condiments, you know. You can actually make ketchup in about 30 seconds. Right. 
for about one third the price. Yes. And when people, you know, make that easy ketchup, they go, oh my God, I'll never buy ketchup again. I can't believe it. it's so <laughs> easy to make. Um, and so I love bringing that sort of accessibility, taking mis- the mystery out of food to people. Oh, that's great. Um, and showing people, you know, giving, putting power back in people's kitchens. Um, and so, you know, mustard's another one. Um, mustard is really easy to make. You've got um, the yellow, also, yellow bottle mustard, yellow yep, bottle mustard bottle in mustard. there. Um, so good. And then, you know, one of my favorite um, things I think is, this sounds, I, I like to, to show people that there are, cheating methods yes. that can help people uh, uh, expedite something. And uh, it may not, you know, you can spend three hours making jam or you can make it in five minutes. Right. Um, and so why not use that easy method if you can? Absolutely. Um, it just doesn't, it, people feel like they're so stuck in like, I have to follow these rules. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't, you can actually build on them. You just have to understand how food works. And, I, and so that's what I'm interested in doing. That's what I try to do a lot on, on homemade, on, uh, on the Miyoko's Home Comforts as well, is I try to encourage people to, to break the rules, to understand, you know, the functionality of various ingredients so you can, you can uh, empower yourself to break the rules and uh, know when you can substitute and when you can change things. That's exactly right. I try and tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, just learn the recipe. Once you do it once, then start taking things out that you don't like and adding the things that you love and just make it your own. You know, it's just about learning the rule first and then breaking it. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, so many people I've discovered are afraid and I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. I'm so glad that I've started this because I'm learning how people feel about food. Yeah, it's true. People are very, they're fearful of making a mistake. I think we all have that fear in life. Oh my gosh, I'm going to do this wrong. I'm going to make a mistake. And I have been trying to embrace in my life, you've got to make the mistakes to sort of progress a little bit or else we're not going to get any further, you know? Right. Uh, We've got a pasta chapter in here with pastas from scratch. And then we've got the grains of truth chapter, Uh, the French baguettes in there. I love. And again, these are actually easy. It's the only thing is you just have to have the patience to wait for the 12 to 24 hours for the proofing. Um, But you also give us mixes like pancake and biscuit mix and buckwheat pancakes and waffle mix. I love the mix situation. I've done the traditional pancakes and the well-crafted mac and cheese powder mix. I've had that in my cupboard. Um, But I love having them on hand to make something quick. So you give people those sort of staples to have as well. Um, We've also got the the mixes are great. I mean, let me just tell you a story about the mixes. So, uh, you know, there's a chocolate cake mix in there. And, you know, once you make these mixes, they're in your cupboard. And when you get a yen, you can do it. Um, But the chocolate cake mixes, you know, or the pancake mix, it's not just for pancakes or chocolate cake. So I have a daughter who loves to bake. And the way she bakes is she looks up a recipe. She'll get a yen for, let's say, brownies or muffins. And she'll look up a recipe online for, you know, vegan. She's vegan. And then I would say 75% of the time, um, they don't turn out very well. And I say to her, okay, this recipe is not a good one. Why did you follow this recipe? (laughs) And so finally, you know, she came in a couple nights ago and she goes, I want to, she just made brownies last week and they were as dry as can be. She found some online recipe that made these, the driest cakey <laughs> brownie. I mean, they, they were not brownies. I don't, I don't know what they were. Sure. So she comes in again. She goes, I, I just got to have some really good brownies. And she's looking again online. And my other daughter, Cammie goes, why don't you just make the brownies out of mom's book? I mean, come on. And so, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I showed her the recipe and, and I said, in fact, I have the chocolate cake mix. Here, here it is. It's in the cupboard. 
all you have to do is adapt it. And here's the brownie recipe using the chocolate cake mix. And she made it. And she's like, these are the bomb. These are the best brownies I've ever had. Um, it's just kind of funny, but you know, all of these mixes are so versatile. You can, you can make a chocolate cake mix and you can make the lightest, fluffiest chocolate cake, or you can turn them into brownies, or you can turn them into double chocolate chip cookies or, you know, chocolate, chocolate scones, whatever. I mean, they're just, they're super versatile and you don't have to spend every day pulling out all of the different ingredients from your cupboard. Right. I mean, that's a big hassle. I I like to make things simple. Yeah. I like the the older I've gotten, I want to have wonderful food wonderful foods but i want them as streamlined as possible i want them easier and easier to make so i just keep coming up with ways to cheat the system to make things as to take you know unnecessary things out of the equation yeah i and love reduce it. things to the easiest common denominator while preserving flavor and texture that's great and i feel like also having knowing exactly what the ingredients are in it where the world is becoming more conscious and more conscious. And if you're making your own mixes, you know exactly what's in it, which is a plus. Right. Saving on all that packaging and everything. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm so thrilled that you're coming out with another cookbook. I feel like you're the Dolly Parton of cookbooks. Like you just have, she probably has this collection of songs that she's sitting on that we'll never hear. I feel like you must have a wealth of recipes that we just can't wait for you to keep putting out. So I'm thrilled there's another uh, cookbook coming out. I am too. Yeah, It got me back to work. I wasn't sure if I could pull it off because you know, I was working full time, but yeah. It's probably been nice a nice shift for you too. What's one of your favorite recipes from the homemade vegan pantry? Um, well, I know this is a really simple one, but I, I just absolutely love the pancake mix because it's so versatile. I love it too. It's um, a great one. It's so simple, but yeah. It makes fluffy pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what it's supposed to do. This is a little part of the show that we call the book brag. Book brag. If you can just tell us something, either about the books collectively or about one of the books, something that you're most proud of or something you want to brag about when it comes to these books, go on ahead. Tell us. Sure. I think I already said it, but it's that, you know, my goal in life really is to take the mystery out of food, the mystery out of cooking for people. So whether it's it's how you make your own vegan cheese or pantry staples or or um, how you make your own meat alternatives or cook with meat alternatives, you know, my goal in life is to empower people in their kitchens and um, take the mystery out of cooking. Well, you've certainly done it. Uh, you've empowered people to cook in their cut- kitchens, and that's definitely something to brag about. So I'm very, very grateful for your books. They've certainly inspired me. Um, we're going to move on to the Baker's Dozen Rapid Fire Questions. Here we go. Are you Ooh, ready? Okay. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I feel I'm, I might know the answer to the first one, but hey, may- maybe you'll surprise me. If you weren't a chef, what would your dream job be? Oh gosh. At this point, I think I would, my dream job would be running an animal sanctuary. I love it. And this next one, now I'm nervous about this next one. Donuts or cupcakes? Oh gosh. Uh, neither. <laughs> I knew that's what it was going to be. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, now this, a celebrity you would love to cook for. Oh, well, uh, that's an easy one. I would love to cook for Ellen and Portia. Uh, oh, you know, that. they've been getting purple carrot and I think they need a a great home cooked meal. Oh, I can see this happening in your future. I can't wait for it. And what's uh what do you have a midnight snack? Oh, a midnight snack. Well, you know, I'm so Japanese. Uh, a midnight snack once in a while, let's say I've had let's say I've had a little bit too much drink would have to be a big bowl of ramen. <laughs> I love that. Well, too much drink takes us to the next question. What is a hangover cure from Miyoko? You know, I haven't had a hangover in a long time because I don't um 
Don't overindulge. I, uh, yes. I don't overindulge anymore. I mean, I like Good. I do drink wine almost every day, but just not to the point where, you know, I need to do anything. But yeah, if if I remember in the past, if I had a hangover, I would have a big breakfast. It was usually like tofu scramble sure. with lots of vegetables and, you know, some toast or something. Well, I suppose we could say your current hangover cure is just not getting one at all then. That's right. Just avoid the hangover. <laughs> uh, food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? I want a skewer. For there sure. we go. Uh, Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Oh, uh, Bradley Cooper. All right. Favorite season to cook? Favorite season to cook? Oh, gosh. Uh, late summer. And favorite kitchen tool? Ah, a favorite kitchen tool. Okay. Um, hmm. That, how about my, the, how about the one that I use almost every day, which is my garlic rock? Ah, I don't even know what that is. Well, it's a, it's a, a Oh, rock the rock. I see. The, you get it from the, you know, the, it's a river rock that you use to, to uh, smash open your garlic and maybe smash it into little bits. Oh no, I want one. Uh, yes, of course you do. Everyone uh, does. I'm going to get one now. What's a uh, uh, hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Uh, well, I'm going to say hot sauce because there's so many bad barbecue sauces out there. That's true. First job in food. First job in food was, uh, I was, uh, on the sandwich. I was on a pancake and sandwich line in <gasps> high school. Ah, and favorite spice to cook with. Oh, favorite spice to cook with. Um, probably I'm getting tired of it. I was going to say smoked paprika, but I'm really getting tired of it. So maybe saffron. I hear you. I love smoked paprika though as well. And now your final one, waffles or pancakes. Oh gosh. That's so hard. Um, I, I'm going to go with pancakes. There you go. All right. Good job. That was your rapid fire. All right, Miyoko, you're the best. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It means you the too. world to me. It's and, been fun. And it's a gr- always great to hear your voice. And thank you for everything you're doing. Your your social media is uh, brightening up everyone's day. So I'm grateful. All right. I told you that woman, she is in it to win it with a heart of gold. I Just love her so much. Like literally yeah. the best. Uh, Well, guys, as promised, you have an opportunity to win free copies of my books and many other books, including The Homemade Vegan Pantry, which we just talked about, and Quick and Easy Vegan Comfort Foods uh, by Alicia Simpson, uh, But I Can Never Go Vegan by Christy Turner, Vegan Yak Attacks books by Jackie Saban, Chloe Flavor by Chloe Coscarelli, the list goes on. In short, we have got a stash of books to give away, and we want to give them to you. David, darling, please tell everyone how they can enter a raffle to win a free book. Raffle to win a free book? Well, it's easy. Uh, So we need your top-notch rating uh, and review on Apple Podcasts. So for the next seven weeks until November 10th, please head over to the Keep On Cooking pod on Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe for your chance to win these uh, these cookbooks as they kind of come available. Um, every person who rates and reviews will be entered in a raffle for a cookbook. So you should, you know, do it. Get your mom, 
get your dog, your auntie, whoever, um, your best friend. And, uh, you know, those reviews help. Um, and it's, it's greatly appreciated since, uh, especially since we are a new podcast. So, so please head to those reviews. Guys, really, the reviews help so much. And I, I really appreciate you listening. And anyone who's ever done a podcast, uh, you get it. Like those reviews on Apple Podcasts really do mean everything and help us in our placement as we move forward. So if you can take a second, we appreciate it. Uh, now, Dustin, I live with you. Yes, I, you suffer. You I don't suffer know. I don't greatly. know if you knew that. You <laughs> I suffer greatly. You. I do not. I eat very well. Um, but speaking <laughs> of that, so you cook every single day, uh-huh. you know, whether it's at work in development at Arden's Garden uh, uh, here in Atlanta, uh, or at home working on new recipes for the next book, or even just dinner for me um, <laughs> or us. Um, uh, so I'm curious if we ended every episode with something of like cooking positivity or like a tip for maybe a home chef out there who's maybe a little apprehensive or nervous about cooking or had has had bad experiences with cooking. What's so something like, good that happened to you while working in the kitchen cooking? <laughs> oh, in a kitchen? Something in a, good in a, that happened what happened to you in a while cooking. Something good that's happened to you in the kitchen this week well, that you can offer as like a tip. Like oh, a, like I a, feel, I'm like I'm like I feel very on the spot right now. Like I'm a, Laganja. I feel very attacked. Like a. a uh, a Dustin's dish. Oh, oh, is that? Did you just? Did you create a segment on the fly? I think I did. <laughs> Dustin's um, dish. You mean like a full dish? No, like what you like a, something that you learned. Like, oh, you said it like a tip or something. Yeah, I'm like, following you. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Um, 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 I'll edit all these ums out. Maybe. I okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Do you what? remember what I made you for breakfast this morning? Yes. Okay. So guys, I just, my mind. So this is like easy. It can be easy, right? This is like a, okay. Yeah, totally. um, you guys, I made this morning, I made plain oatmeal and I was, we had blueberries in the fridge and I was like, okay, I'm going to put some blueberries on it. Like whatever. We're going to have oatmeal and blueberries, maybe a little like brown sugar, right? Well, and then I was like, oh gosh, I really, David made cinnamon rolls. David made cinnamon rolls last week and he did such a good job. From scratch. And I've literally been thinking about them and I was like, gosh, I wish I had those cinnamon rolls. And I was like, well, we can't eat those every day. That would be insane. So I was like, what if I made this oatmeal into a cinnamon roll? And we still had cream cheese in the fridge from when David made those cinnamon rolls. So here's my tip. Sorry. I know it's supposed to be like quick and easy. Plain oatmeal. A little bit of vegan cream cheese, a little bit of sweetener of choice. I actually did monk fruit sweetener to keep the cows down, and it was delicious. Uh, so mix the cream cheese into plain oatmeal, a little bit of sweetener, and cinnamon. Honey. That it is, was perfect. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to – I actually – And it was I, already creamy, but it was just like a little bit extra, like, oof. decadent. Like. I, I thought it was going to be, like, okay, but I kind of, like, lost my mind over it. So here – actually, as we're – I'm going to – I'll do an IGTV. I think we're going to do IGTV things with this too. So like oh, great. go to IGTV and I'll put out uh, a video on how to make that uh, oatmeal, that cinnamon roll oatmeal, we'll call it for now, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Cinnamon rolled, rolled oats. Cinnamon rolled, cinnamon rolled oats. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, and I think it goes along with you are very big about, um, and have passed on to like me is like kind of playing with your food and like trying sure. stuff like, okay, so we know cream cheese is delicious. We right. know oatmeal with cinnamon and some sweetener will be delicious. Let's put them together. Well, and, and the reason they... I thought cream cheese yeah. 
sorry to interrupt you. No, don't. I got really excited. You sure did. You said that because yeah, really excited. The reason I thought cream cheese is because we used the cinnamon roll recipe that you did mm-hmm. last week was from my book Epic Vegan, and yep. we used the cream cheese icing on that. And I thought, Ugh. oh, maybe if I put a little of the cream cheese icing, that's going to give me that cinnabon feeling that we're looking for. Exactly. So that's what I'm. Just think about the things that you like, the taste that you love, and play with your food. That's where, where play we're getting with at. your food. Play with your food, y'all. Now listen, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen today. We know your time is valuable and there's lots of things you could be putting in your ears. So we appreciate that this podcast was one of them. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Vegan Roadie. And of course, you'll see my husband, David Rossetti, there as well. And find out more about us and the podcast at veganroadie.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we will see you next Tuesday. Keep on cooking and remember, it's nice to be nice. This has been a Muzzy Cat production. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>